I'm Mary Kate Fain, founder of 4W. I'm Sasha White, and I am the co-founder of Plevity.org. And this is Identity Crisis, a new show for gender-critical teens and 20-somethings. Today we wanted to discuss a question that we hear all over the internet, which is why are so many people going along with the trans ideology? We know that a lot of people in our lives don't seem to agree with it, and yet in the mainstream, it seems like everyone is going along with it. So today we wanted to discuss what are some of the psychological processes that can go into creating this perception that everyone on one hand agrees with something that you also know doesn't make sense for everyone to agree with. Right, it's kind of, um... My favorite analogy here is the Emperor's New Clothes, which I think I've mentioned before on our podcast, but, you know, it does tend to feel like people are praising the Emperor's New Clothes when they are saying things like, just throw out this example, Elliot Page was always a man. Okay, that's that's an example of where you start to feel like maybe you're the only one having this perception of reality, but you know you're not, and it is very confusing as to why people are promoting it so strongly. So one thing that I really wanted to show you, MK, was this ASH experiment, which is sort of like a classic psychological experiment. I think you're aware of it. Okay, so I am just going to play this ASH experiment clip, and MK, maybe you can sort of narrate what's happening, and we can make sure our audio listeners are clued in. Yeah. The ASH experiment is one of psychology's oldest and most popular pieces of research. So a bunch of men have filtered into a room around the table right now. And uh, we can see that there's one guy who looks very serious and the rest look kind of blank and neutral. They're all sitting around a, um, a bunch of whiteboards that a professor is holding. Told that he's taking part in a visual perception test. What he doesn't know is that the other participants are actors and he's the only person taking part in the real test, which is actually about group conformity. So the professor is holding up this board that has lines of like various heights on it. And it's really clear which one is the tallest and which one is the shortest. And they're labeled with numbers. And also, I just noticed the professor looks vaguely like Brad Pitt. So and today involves the perception of line length. Your task will be simply to look at the line here on the left and indicate which of the three lines on the right is equal to it in length. So, for example, if the actors have been told to match the wrong lines. The volunteer will be monitored to see if he gives the correct answer or if he goes along with the opinion of the group and gives the wrong answer. In the first test, the correct answer is two. Uh, one. 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 Two. One. Okay, so that was the, the does that. <laughs> yeah. So the first three people, the Confederates in the experiment, all said one. And then the guy who is actually being tested, he looks around the table as if he's going insane and takes this really long pause before finally saying it two, which is the obviously tallest one. Once again, the correct answer is two. Three. 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 This is our tester. Three. Three. So MK, what was your first reaction when you saw it or when you revisited it for this podcast? 
I mean, it's so hard to watch that and not just think, oh my God, it's trans women are women. <laughs> like it is exactly the same thing. Um, but you know, that's what I thought. I think I recently saw this a week ago and then I learned about it in psychology class. But this time when I just watched it with you, something that stood out at me was how the first time the participant said the correct answer and then he, uh, aligned himself with the group going forward. But the thing that most stood out to me is that that happened without any feedback from the group. There was no negative consequence to him doing that. Absolutely none. He didn't even get like a dirty look from anyone from what we could see in the video clip. There was no negative feedback for him not being aligned with the group. And yet he still conformed the very next time. And that part was so interesting to me because I usually think of this as something where, oh, people conform because they're scared of the negative consequences. There were no negative consequences. He totally just conformed anyways. That is a great point. It's it's the, really this strong psychological pull where we feel the need to conform. And um, I was also just so struck by his expression the first time when he gave that answer because he was like incredulous he was like number one don't you guys see it like he, he was yeah. so um he, he was so nervous to be honest and you know I don't blame him that is the human nature that's what it's showing right mm -hmm. it, it almost seemed like he was trying to figure out what he had gotten wrong like oh maybe I'm doing the question backwards maybe they actually said shortest and yeah. you can see him kind of trying to do that math to figure it out, but then ultimately he can't figure it out because he was correct, but he just like, he just assumes that he must've been wrong. Yeah, and I think it was maybe in a different version of this video where one of the researchers said, um, or commentators said, we often think others know better than us. And it's like, yeah, we, we always think that. I mean, that's, it's not just laziness, but sometimes it's intellectual laziness where we're like, oh, they know better than us. And I see that happening with um, people denying like sex differences between men and women, because the average person who defends like, let's say the ACLU or something where they're denying sex differences, they they could not actually tell you why they think that like they might link you to this one scientific American article that everyone always links to, um, but they wouldn't actually know why that they wouldn't be able to really make the strong case for that, um, whether yeah. it's true or not. So, you know, I've seen another version of this video as well that uh, places it in a more life and death context in order to see if this changes things. And they had a woman sitting in a room that is filling with smoke. She, it, she's in like a waiting room for the study. And there are these other participants who are uh, the Confederates to the experimenters sitting with her and nobody else acknowledges the smoke. Nobody even looks around, nobody looks nervous, nobody goes and checks it out. And so she just sits there in the smoky room presumably until she dies. I mean, not actually dies, but you know, until they end the experiment versus they did a version where the woman was alone in the room and she very quickly got up and started looking to try to figure out what was going on and then left the room uh, to presumably report the smoke to someone. And it's so interesting to me that this isn't just, oh, it's just a line who cares how long it is. Like, this is actually in very important life and death situations, people will conform 
just to conform, just because that's what their brain tells them to do. They actually think that it would be safer for them to stay in a room filled with smoke and conform to a group than it would be to be non-conforming to the group norms. And like that just shows how much our brain values this group conformity. They actually prefer it over literally dying. Hmm. Wow. Um, that just made me think of something. When I was a kid, I used to ride horses. And what I think I was with my aunt who was teaching me how to ride. And she said something like, when you ride behind, when, when you're on a trail ride and your horse is like second and they're following a horse ahead of them, she said they use the brain of the horse ahead of them. And horses are kind of like that. They're not super independent minded. They're not like donkeys or mules. They're very obedient. Um, and that's kind of what we do in a group setting. We start to like bleed our thoughts out into the groups or we let their thoughts bleed into ours. And then often when we're alone later, it's, it's then that we're able to reflect and realize we disagree or why we disagreed or why we had a little nagging voice in our head. Um, and something that you might try to do or that I try to do in these situations is like pretend you're alone in that moment. Like you said, when the woman was in the room alone, she, she acted differently, which totally makes sense to me. If you can kind of withdraw a little bit from the group internally, check in with yourself, that might be able to help sometimes. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's interesting to try to differentiate when does someone conform because they're mindlessly going along and they actually think, oh, the others are probably right, I'm probably wrong, and they just accept the group paradigm versus when do people actually try to portray what they believe as different in order to conform to the group. I recently heard on another podcast about the idea of preference falsification, which was put forward by this researcher, Timur Curran. And uh, Sasha, can you tell me a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so I saved it one excellent quote from uh, Professor Curran, who uh, I'm probably not pronouncing his name correctly, but I think he's a professor at Duke. And he said that um, preference falsification is the act of misrepresenting one's wants because of perceived social pressures. It aims specifically to manipulate the perceptions of others about one's motivations or dispositions. Preference falsification is a form of lying, but one aimed at disguising your true preference and also the information that underlies that preference. Yeah, so the idea here is that people are actually in some situations lying about what they think or feel in a situation in order to conform to the group. This is different from mindlessly like the horse going along because you aren't really thinking for yourself. You're not thinking independently. In this case, people are having independent thoughts and disagreeing with the group, but they go forward anyways. And uh, I wonder why you think people might do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I have to say, when I was listening to this interview with this professor, he started with these regimes that we know of as authoritarian and oppressive, like the Soviet Union and North Korea. And then I, I did not expect him to also talk about the United States, uh, but he did. And so it's, it's something that even someone like him who studies the most oppressive regimes acknowledges we have here. And he mentioned this culture right now where people are genuinely afraid of getting fired if they hold the wrong opinions or express the wrong opinions. So when you have some kind of 
totalitarian environment or culture, it totally oppresses your strength and your bravery in speaking up. Those social consequences of shunning, huge deal. And the material consequences of getting fired, even worse. Yeah, something I was really struck by when listening to this uh, same interview with the professor was he was talking about the uh, a specific totalitarian regime, and I believe that it was in Czechoslovakia. Um, maybe we should check that though. And yeah, he did talk wrong, about but... Czechoslovakia, so it may have been okay. So hopefully, I'm remember I'm connecting the right dots there. Um, but it, what happened was after the totalitarian regime fell, they had a really hard time going in and trying to find people who had supported the previous communist regime, even though just you know a couple months prior, it seemed like everyone supported the communist regime. But then as soon as the regime fell, everyone was like, no, no, I didn't really support it. I was just going along to protect my family, to protect my kids, to protect myself. And I think that right now in the gender critical space, we're seeing a lot of this preference falsification. Uh, just recently, someone in uh, some work that we were doing behind the scenes mentioned to us that, uh, you know, I actually agree with what your organization is doing, but I can't speak out about it because I'll lose my job. And this was a, an organization that had actually publicly denounced Wolf, the organization I was working with. And yet a leader at that organization was privately telling us that they agree with us. And this happens multiple times when I was uh, kicked off volunteering from an organization, a women's org. The executive director told me that she agreed with me, but that she would not go publicly in favor of my stance because she would get fired and they would lose their funding. So I think that we're seeing sort of this combination of people mindlessly going along to conform because that's what their brain naturally does. But then when they do get alone and do think about it and do come to their own conclusion, they still won't speak out because then they have this preference falsification because they're terrified of what will happen if they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's dark, but it makes me think of one kind of preference falsification that we're seeing, which is um, gay and lesbian youngsters, mostly who are being socially coerced into saying into denying their true sexual orientation. For example, lesbians, You've got to say that you include trans women in your sexuality, otherwise you will be absolutely lambasted as being transphobic. And, um, you know, just to illustrate this with a brief anecdote, I interviewed a 15-year-old girl on my podcast, and she is a lesbian, and she talked about, she's 16 now, she talked about how, um, you know, well, first she said it's not cool to be a lesbian anymore, which is quite heartbreaking because we like to think we've made strides there. And she also talked about how if you, she said there are certain dog whistles that will get you called a Nazi. And I said, what's an example of a dog whistle that around sexual orientation? And she said, like saying that lesbians only like female bodies. And then when I posted a clip of that on Twitter, guess what? I got a comment. Oh, that's because you guys are Nazis. Basically, they were just calling us Nazis for saying that. This stuff is really strong and I don't know what to do for these teens who are being forced to falsify their preferences like this socially. 
Yeah. Something that I, I also found interesting about the research on preference falsification was the evidence that because there's this sort of underbelly of dissent that's happening that's not visible to the mainstream that can actually make it more likely for a big dramatic change to happen in what the norm is essentially overnight because people don't see it the people in power the people who for in this case the trans activists they don't see it coming because all they see around them it, are people mindlessly agreeing because they're too afraid to disagree and i think that we might be starting to have that point happened here in the United States, where there's so many people who are aware now and disagreeing under the surface that we could essentially have an overnight flip at some point to where suddenly we are the mainstream and the norm. We even have polling that Wolf has done that showed that two thirds of Americans of, of registered voters don't agree with policies like, for example, putting men in women's prisons or allowing boys to play on girls athletics. This, these are what mainstream Americans believe. Like this is the, the popular stance, but everyone is afraid to say it. And I think that it's important to normalize this, to just speak out loud and to say that we're not a fringe minority where, I mean, maybe I'm a radical feminist, but this belief that humans can't change sex is an utterly mainstream belief that the majority of Americans agree with. And yeah, it's not the mainstream belief in terms of what we hear all the time in the press and on social media, and even in our friends groups or in the workplace, but most people agree with us. And I think that it only will take, you know, just a, some sort of catalyst for that to shift where suddenly we will be the visible majority instead of the silent majority. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that's a good message of hope to sort of close out on, but I do want to also just take the opportunity to mention something, a sort of shameless plug. But uh, one thing that I am doing on plebity.org is part of this project is the Identity Crisis Forum, I'm calling it. And I'm accepting submissions from people who want to write in anonymously and um, tell their stories about being sort of gender dissidents or whatever the case may be. They need a place where they can actually talk about their gender critical views. So um, I have just heard from a medical student who is, you know, absolutely terrified of being outed and being discovered, but this medical student wants to tell the story of the school that they are teaching that biological sex is a social construct and the medical professors are not saying the words male and female out of fear of offending. So this young person has contacted me. I've um, FaceTimed with them to verify who they are and you know seen some id and i am going to be doing a written q a with this person but i want to encourage other people to reach out and you know you can reach out to mk and i or you can submit something to this identity crisis forum but just know that you're not alone like you just said mk we really are the majority in this particular belief yeah, I completely agree. I think it's an amazing project. Being able to connect with other people and hear their stories just helps 
us remember that we're not alone. So if you have a question and want to connect with us, feel free to email us at submit at identitycrisis.xyz. And we have new episodes every Monday, so don't forget to check back in. Thank you.